Welcome to the Springs in the Desert podcast. We're those friends that you can take with you wherever you are on the path of infertility. Hello, welcome back to the Springs in the Desert podcast. This is Cassandra and I'm here with my friend Jillian. Jillian, how's it going? Hello, I'm so good. It's so good to be here with you. I love chatting with you. Yes. (laughs) All right. And we are also here with a very special guest today. Mary Bruno is an author, speaker, Creighton practitioner, co-founder and executive director of the nonprofit fan base, creator of at White Lotus Blooming and Sulfur Cream Rapper who loves playing sports (laughs) and eating chocolate. Mary, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you. I'm so excited to be here with y'all. Yes. Okay. So if you're familiar with Mary, you know, she is all about women's health and, you know, just like spreading the word. (laughs) This is so important. So anyway, we have so much to talk about today. So we're just going to dive right in. Mary, we wanted to open it up for you to tell our listeners your story because it's an amazing story. It's an honest story. You've told it in your book, 12 Stripes Deep. And just to me, it was just a story of what it really means to love God, then what it means to be loved by him also. Yeah. Even when he says no. What a beautiful description. Like, um, um, I will try to be that brief. I don't know if I can be that brief. <laughs> you don't have to be that brief. We have time. We have time. <laughs> okay, yes. Yes. Good. So uh, I grew up right outside of New Orleans. Now I live across the North Shore from New Orleans. So I liked living in New Orleans, but I like visiting it more now than living in it. So yeah. um, we're just over here in Mandeville. And I grew up in a devout Catholic family. So that was always a big part of my life. And I I would say my faith has really strengthened over the years. And then particularly uh, when I was really learning of my infertility. But my young adult high school years was largely, um, I I experienced a lot of pain, Mm -hmm. physical pain Mm -hmm. and cramping. And I didn't get diagnosed with endometriosis until I was about, oh gosh, like 24. I think it was actually on my 24th birthday or 25th birthday that I had an ultrasound where the doctor suspected endometriosis. That was the first time I had ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. This common women's health disease. Right. right. <laughs> to be suffering for 12, 12 or so years yeah. and the, to only hear of it then after how much damage it had done mm-hmm. on my reproductive system. And, you know, there's different stages and I just had the worst one. Of course, she told me I needed surgery that day. And then, uh, so we got it scheduled and I had actually been dating my now husband for about seven months or so. So it was like, we were getting pretty serious, but it was kind of like, yeah, so you have this disease where you could be infertile, right? Uh, good luck with that. Yeah. And we're deserting marriage. And it was, it was scary as a scary time, but it was the time we really, Chris just, he just, he has such love for me and I'm just so grateful obviously timing, God's timing is everything. And thankfully we were together at that point and he was always been a great support for me. Mm -hmm. And so I had my first of 12 surgeries actually with an OBGYN at that time who um, I was completely unfamiliar with fertility awareness and NAPRO technology and just really good surgeon options. So the disease didn't, uh, So I had the first surgery. She removed a cyst. She told me my pain uh, should go away. So I was optimistic, but my pain did not go away. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, I don't know how much detail to get into because it's such a long story. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever you want. We are here to hear your story. (laughs) 
What is the most important, but still brief? Okay, so I I was really disappointed, clearly, as I think any normal woman would be, mm-hmm. that the pain didn't go away. And I should specify, the reason I knew, this is really important, the reason I knew the pain didn't go away is because I never got on birth control like she recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, I did consider it. I did consider it. I'm always very important to explain that. I mean, how do you make the best decision for yourself if you don't know all of your options? At the time, I only knew of birth control and I knew of a single method of NFP, unaware of any health benefits. So I did my research and I hope that we do do research and don't just, you know, take anything that the doctor says and just go with it. I really did consider it but ultimately decided it wasn't for me. So I decided, and she had told me that the surgery would be effective. Mm -hmm, So I was like, it was just confusing. Why do I need to take birth control if surgery is effective? You know, looking back, it's just like, (laughs) this just is not logical, like good healthcare. So not because I wasn't on birth control, it wasn't hiding the symptoms because birth control does not address the symptoms. It only addresses the symptoms. It doesn't address the root cause, like uh, cause of endometriosis. Right. So I knew that the the disease was still there. And I actually, in only three months, I had two cysts, not one anymore, which she removed. Now there were two. Mm-hmm. And so then I knew this was serious. Like, I just, I need to like figure out what's going on. So uh, I then thankfully discovered Creighton and Napper Technology. Okay, so I had my second surgery scheduled. and. Um, it was likely if I had gone through with that, she would have just removed at least some of my reproductive organs, if not all of them, because of her, her, her expertise was limited and the disease was, was so bad at that point. So I was able to cancel that surgery at the pre-op, which I consider to be mm-hmm. pretty miraculous. And then, and then I discovered Napper technology. I had been yeah. charting with Creighton already, but it was just still so new. And I think that is the benefit of talking about this and educating people because the first time we hear about this, it's not enough. We need to hear about this several times before we can really trust it and commit to this and understand like this is something real. This is scientific. This can really benefit my life. But at this point, I, I didn't have an option. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm, I'm not comfortable with going through mm-hmm. with the second surgery. I flew up to Omaha, Nebraska. My first time on an airplane, <laughs> I was like 25 years old. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I say that to express how important this was. This is my fertility. This is not something I want to mess around with. And so I yeah. you know this is an issue where, you know, we don't have great surgeons. Not everybody has one down the street. Not everyone can fly somewhere to receive that care. But it is something that if you can, if you can make it work, it is worth it. It is worth like figuring out, is, is this something that I can do? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. And it, it really opened my eyes to restorative reproductive medicine and the healthcare industry to how hormone, hormonal birth control works and is prescribed and the great injustice that it is for women, that it does. When I learned right. that these doctors don't prescribe birth control, I was just like, I couldn't even understand it. Even as a Catholic, but that's what the culture teaches us is that this is just what we do. This is our option. So it, it's just like, wow, they don't prescribe birth control. And not, not only that, but my surgery was an hour and a half long. And I understand that that's pretty standard for just like standard surgeons. But with my NAPRO surgeons, my surgeries, like there wasn't a time limit. They just take as long as it takes because they're being so much more meticulous and taking so much more time and they understand how to adequately remove the disease and prevent scar tissue. And there's other surgeons too that are really good at that. Um, 
It's just, I've been connected with these NAPRA technology surgeons, um, but my surgeries mm -hmm. lasted like six to eight hours with them. That's just a typical day for them because they're getting these yeah. cases and they're doing surgery in a way that preserves fertility. So that was really important. So, I mean, once I understood that, there was no going mm -hmm. back. And that's really what inspired a lot of my ministry at the time, eventually part mm -hmm. of what inspired fan base. Yeah, I, I didn't really get into the infertility part yet. Do you want me to share some of that too? Yeah, I just want to say first, good for you for advocating for yourself because there have been so many of us and so many times yes. when you're in the doctor's office and you're Catholic still in the doctor's office, but you're in this super vulnerable position and you're receiving things from doctors that are not in line with our faith. And it's such a vulnerable position to be in. Yeah. It's such a vulnerable position to be in. And it's just a shame, right? And just what you're saying that we are so blessed to have these surgeons who are gonna not try to ignore how a woman's body works, but let's try and fix it. Right. <laughs> Heal it, you know, it's so... Yeah. It shouldn't be so complex. <laughs> this is what the doctor's healthcare system is yes. here for. So it does. Right. Once you start to understand how it's being uh, mm -hmm. delivered to us, yeah, I think we should have a lot of questions and we should advocate for ourselves, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I also, I really appreciate this, this advocacy piece because I live in rural North Dakota. And so they're really like all these things you're mentioning about not having access to, you know, certain types of doctors or a good airport yes. or you know, getting to places like that, I'm living it. I that's where I'm at. And so mm -hmm. it gets really tricky. And it can be an additional weight on top of whatever the cross is that you're carrying, to have to try to advocate for yourself and to try to figure out how do I respect the intelligence of this doctor while also mm -hmm. respecting my values, what my faith teaches and the truth? And how do we meet to form a good yeah. plan that is for my benefit. And it's, that's tricky. So I really, I just, I, yeah, I really appreciate that. I appreciate you too, talking about respecting the knowledge of the doctor, because that was something important to me. Like, I don't want to be bashing doctors by any means. Mm -hmm. They're here to help us. I know my doctor was actually a really good doctor and mm -hmm. I really liked her and I know she really desired to help me. So I think it's important to realize that they are here to help us. But I also hope that they're open to listening too and saying like, this is really what I need. Sorry, something just fell off my wall. <laughs> That's okay. It's spiritual warfare. That's <laughs> scary. Okay, it's fine. There we go. Yes, no, oh, ironically, no. it's a picture of my daughter's uh, first birthday. Um, so anyway, yeah. that's really weird. Anyway. Yeah, I don't even remember what I was saying, but just uh, like recognizing they're here, they want to help us, but also it's really important that we're heard and that we advocate for ourselves to both of those things. Right. And they sometimes our definition of what it means to help someone is not the same as the, but it is important, you know, in, in Christian charity to assume those good intentions. I mean, I remember when I was meeting my oncologist, he was super, he was like 80% chance it's not cancer to me. And then after the surgery, when he comes in and I'm awake, you know, and I, we're going to get into this, but you talked about waking up from a surgery and being relieved that you still, you know, had everything. And mm -hmm. I, from, I had two surgeries, um, the second of which was a hysterectomy, but the first one, we didn't know what was going to happen because uh, I mean, we thought it was just an ovarian cyst, but I woke up and I, you know, had to sign it away, right? If you have to, you can do this. And I woke up and I, I think I was still in the elevator or maybe even not, but I asked my husband, I was like, do I still have my uterus? 
the the first thing, right? Yep. And it it oh, is yeah. it is so hard, you know, to and then have the the surgeon came in and and he was like, you should talk to your pastor about freezing your eggs, basically. And I was just like, well, Whoa. oh my god, I'm not. And I love 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 my oncologist. I yes. love him, but not <laughs> everyone has the same understanding of of human life as we do and so it's just important to stay strong that's that's all there is to say you know yeah and know that it's okay to ask for other opinions Mm -hmm. and that it doesn't mean this person is bad or that they don't help a lot of people but that it's just you need to do what's best for you right period right so you start having surgeries it was the first of many unfortunately Mm -hmm. Then what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the issue with me was actually the 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 endometriosis. My understanding was the recurrence wasn't exorbitant. I had a lot of scar tissue issues, and the endometriosis was growing on a lot of different organs too. So I had some issues on my rectum. So one of the reasons I have a lot of sur- I've had a lot of surgeries is because of the way the NAPRO technology surgeons do them. Mm-hmm. There's a diagnostic one first. If the the damage is too much, they'll come back basically and get a plan together. And then if the scar tissue is a lot, then they'll cover your organs in this Gore-Tex, which is specially designed and researched to prevent scar tissue. And then you come back with another surgery after that to remove the Gore-Tex. So just to kind of explain, that's why they've stacked up so Mm -hmm. much. But basically, I mean, there are some forms of endometriosis or some situations too that it just it it's um it just keeps coming. I don't know the word. Stubborn. Stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> Stubborn. <laughs> and so I was having surgeries like every two years, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And the, the and the pain would get come back really really bad. So anyway, you know, several years later, it's like okay, we can't just keep doing this all the time. The pain towards the end there, it was so bad. I the pain was outside of my period. I was having to go to the emergency room for almost every cycle for morphine was the only thing that would take the pain away, which is another complicated thing because in the ER, they don't understand this. There's very little evidence on imaging on ultrasound. Like they found a bunch of fibroids. I I either look like I'm on drugs or I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. So that's like another weird part of it because of how I physically look to them. Like they have to like hold me down, get a blood sample a urine sample from a catheter. I mean, just that that much pain. Yeah. So um, I just was trying to get to my next surgery, which wasn't my hysterectomy just yet. But my napper doctor, I moved to one in Houston, which is a little bit closer. And he discovered adenomyosis. So that, that's something that can be present too, um, which is endometriosis. They're basically when when there's cells like the lining of the uterus, it can implant outside of the uterus and really on any organ in the body. Mm-hmm. Adenomyosis is when those lesions are in the muscle of the uterus itself. So it, it's kind of the same, but it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And the only way to remove that is by removing the actual muscle. So mainly hysterectomies is what you're going to find. Mm-hmm. But in my case, so there was some diffuse adenomyosis, but there also were these big like cysts of adenomyosis. So mm-hmm. I had the option, Chris and I had the option that we discerned. He gave me the option to cut off half my uterus basically and sew it back up again which, and I could still get pregnant. He said, I would just need a Mm C-section or having a hysterectomy. Cause at that point we had done so much. It's not like it wouldn't have been a valid medical option. Right. But this was new information at this point. So I just, I knew I couldn't, 
go towards hysterectomy, I wouldn't be at peace with it until we really tried everything. Right. And so we waited a couple of days and we discerned, we're going to go ahead and try this. And for the first time, so I also, and then I also, they also had, um, I had, like I said, bowel issues, endometriosis mm-hmm. in my bowel. So he cut off half my uterus or a third of my uterus or something like that and removed six to eight inches of my bowel. Mm-hmm. And I woke up for the first time. This was my 11th surgery, I think. Mm-hmm. No pain at all. Wow. I, I, I woke up and felt weight lifted for the wow. first time ever. Wow. I, something was different. So yeah. I don't know if that adenomyosis, it's hard to diagnose, um, was like growing the whole time. And clearly they like hadn't chopped off half my, you know, my uterus at that point. So that, that was clearly significant. And it was so weird because I remember my first few cycles and I'm like, I'm going to take some ibuprofen. I mean, at this point, before that, I was like <laughs> narcotics, the highest of like anti-inflammatories ever. I'm like, I'm just going to yeah. take some ibuprofen just because I don't know what's going to happen. But like yeah. to have no pain, this is unreal. I mean, just so used to it. Now, again, I had aggressive, that's a word, aggressive form of endometriosis. And so it, it lasted about one to two years, but the pain was back. It didn't get as severe as it had been, but mm-hmm. I couldn't really function <laughs> on yeah. a daily basis. I just never knew. I couldn't plan anything. It was like a day-to-day thing. And it was just at that point, we're talking about discerning hysterectomy. I would, the hard part, and I'm sure maybe you can relate to this, but a lot of your listeners can probably relate to this, but I just, um, I really had to consider at this point, I hate to use the word selfish because I don't think it was really selfish, but I just really needed to consider, is it worth it? My desire to just to keep the hope of pregnancy alive, Mm -hmm. all the people being affected by so many surgeries, like financially, logistically, now we had adopted Bella, Mm -hmm. you know, our daughter by that point, putting her out, she has to be away from her mom for so long. Chris is having to work and care for our entire family, which was beautiful. Like this, this, there was a lot of fruit born from that. Yeah. But to have, keep, you can't keep having surgeries every year or two. Yeah. It's just not practical. Yeah. And at that point I was really confident. I tried everything that I could. I can say, say that, that it's time to give this to God and see, what do you want me to learn from this? Where do you want me to go from here? Hey friends, it is your podcast host, Jillian. Just popping into this episode to ask you to consider supporting our podcast with a financial gift. This episode is brought to you by staff, volunteers who reviewed the content, and a professional editor. We would be so grateful for your financial support to keep this podcast sounding great and reaching more listeners who need a friend on the path of infertility. Thank you for your support. You write in your book that you didn't realize it at the time, but that God had been slowly preparing you for this all along. Yeah. And it's just so amazing because I think it's not like this for everyone, but sometimes, and, and, and we can't always see it in the moment, but he does prepare us for mm-hmm. these really, really, really hard, tragic, tragic things that happen to us. I mean, I see that in my own case where most of the time where it could have gone one way, it went the way that was worse. But it happened, you know, for me, it was over a period of about three months. And since I found out there was something wrong with me to the hysterectomy and right, the time for everyone is different. And it was really hard. And we went to the shrine of St. Gerard in Newark for my hysterectomy. We asked for a miracle and we didn't get one. But you know what? God had given us the time that we needed to prepare our hearts for that. That's something else that you talk about in your book is really getting into those deep crevices of your heart to 
to make sure that you're grieving this. And that's something I did too. I mean, you grieve as much as you can beforehand because you have a physical, a serious physical recovery to get through afterward. There's just so much to be said. But thank you so much just for sharing your story in this witness. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so easy just to, I, I like that you brought that up because I made sure I was intentional about processing and grieving that because we're so used to not talking about things that are hard and just kind of shoving what we can under the rug and just be like out of sight, out of mind. And it had to be the Holy Spirit because I knew that I had to make sure I was going into those difficult places. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to wake up from surgery and be like, what happened? Like, what happened? Like, this is too traumatic. I can't. So I think that is really good advice to take to like, and whether it's hysterectomy or not, I mean, just the, the, the traumas that we're experiencing, the difficulties, the struggles, no matter what it is. And that is kind of a me- the message throughout the book is to, I call what I call step into these sufferings and explore that. And mm-hmm. what the, the language recently someone shared with me is consent to it. Mm-hmm. God gives a, there, we have lots of suffering naturally. We don't have to go out and seek it. But consenting to it and saying, okay, God, what can I learn through this? You're going to find a lot more peace that way. I love that, that phrase of stepping into the suffering. You know, we, we say it all the time at Springs in the Desert, it's an honor to walk with you because it is, it's a choice to pick up your foot and take the next step. And so to, you know, sort of allow the Lord to clothe you in that suffering, to step into it even though it's going to be hard, really, really hard oftentimes, but to step into that, I just, that's a really beautiful image that I am definitely going to pray with because I don't think I think of it like that a lot. Like I think I have to endure it or I have to, you know, just accept it, pick it up, but I can actually step into it. I have a freedom in that rather than just, uh, I just have to let it happen. I love that. It's the difference between looking at it as something happening to you. Yes. And then stepping into it and and letting and asking God to walk with you. There's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's so good. It's so good. So we're getting near the end, but I just want to give you a moment to just talk about how your ministry and outreach came out of this amazing personal journey that you've been on and how you're using that to help other women. Yes, thank you. So yeah, uh, that was my first inspiration. I would I say for infer- what the point of the book, the, the subtitle is how infertility and other suffering delivered my greatest joys. And there are so many things that infertility taught me that I didn't realize were there, like the gifts that came out of the opportunities. And first and foremost, I mean, there was adoption but really close to that was just ministry of just educating women and bringing them to this community and just you're not alone and educating them fertility awareness, restorative reproductive medicine, birth control. So I did a lot of speaking locally, a lot of writing, blogging, and social media. And so um, did that for a while as I called myself taking back the terms. And then I connected with a really good friend of mine, Emily, who has opposite fertility experiences than me. Um, But we found that great value in that. And also in just really listening to each other, like even though we were from different places, we really uh, learned a lot and we're able to grow through that. We saw that a lot of value in that, but we we could also speak to a lot of different circumstances. So that's what Bambase was born. So we have a, we're a nonprofit organization. Our website is fabmbase.org. And there, I mean, it's just, it's an attractive website. It's there 
to help whether you're a beginner and you've never heard of any of this or you're a longtime user. We educate on how hormonal birth control works just objectively. Like we're not trying to sway you. We just want you to have the informed, mm-hmm. make informed mm-hmm. consent. What is fertility awareness? What are your options? Because a lot of us are only taught about one. And that was my yeah. issue. And then user experiences, community, and then of course, some other external resources like restorative reproductive medicine, counseling, pelvic floor physical therapy. Once you get into this world, you realize how well connected yeah. it is. Awesome. Well, that's a great place, I think, for us to wrap up this episode. Mary, thank you so, so much. Yes. And for our listeners, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Springs of the Desert podcast. And always remember that God loves you and so do we. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this Springs in the Desert podcast episode. We would be so grateful if you took a minute to rate and review us so that we can reach more listeners. Don't forget to check out our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram and go to our website, springsinthedesert.org, where you can sign up for our newsletter and community prayer list, read our blog, and register for virtual and in-person events. Most importantly, remember that God loves you so much and so do we.